if I had more time, I would go back and get the sound clip of the old lady from Titanic saying it's been 84 years since we've done a podcast. But you guys all already know that because it's been so long since we recorded one of these. And in fact, it's been the longest since we started that I haven't recorded one because the last one we did, Emily recorded. It was Emily After Dark, which, wow, talk about a polarizing episode that received both rave reviews and um, very, very uh, critical, please don't ever do that to us again type reviews. Anyway, happy new year, happy 2022 to all the Cast and Blast Florida universe, everyone listening in today. Um, I am flying solo. This is usually the week that we do our year in review for the year coming, but we are going to push that back a couple of weeks simply because um, we have all been ravaged. Part of our, uh, our hiatus that we've had recently was unplanned due to the fact that none of us could talk. So actually Nate could have talked, but Nate didn't have all the recording equipment and ability to upload files. So it's hard for us to pull a Nate flying solo podcast, but uh, Emily and I have been alternating back and forth with not Omicron. Yes. A cold, probably allergies, who knows what it is. Um, But we have both been pretty under the weather and Emily is actually still in fact sick today. So uh, she does have a voice, but it's um, how would I describe it? Snotty. Like she's like she's drowning in just it's it's just not a good listen. So um, we are doing this out of the goodness of our hearts. We are not putting her on the air, and um, hopefully we'll all be back to normal in the next week or two, and we can resume some of our traditional hijinks that you guys have all come to know and love with our beginning of year episodes. Um, but in the meantime, I'm back. I'm healthy. I'm happy. Although I did have that stuff pretty bad over the Christmas break. So there was a week where we had planned a podcast. And I was like, dude, I just cannot do it. I cannot. I don't have the voice. I don't have like I, I just couldn't do it. So, um, thought we would drop by and give you guys all an update from myself, Nate, and Emily. Um, but this is really just going to be my update because I don't have any notes from them. Here is what I want to talk to you guys about. First, I'm going to give you a duck season recap. Uh, most of you know that this season I have been partnering with Mr. Matt Pierce, who's been on the podcast. Um, and we're doing some private land hunts on top of the normal public land waterfowl hunts that I used to do and still do. And so we have, uh, been burning the candle proverbially at both ends. I think, um, since the start of duck season back in November, I've put 7,000 miles on Joe Bennett, the new truck. So we have, uh, We've not been sitting around waiting for stuff to happen. We have really been out there getting after it. Um, so I'll, I'll refer kind of as I'm talking through this to uh, a couple of different areas. One is, is Cluiston. So um, Matt has a, a cattle lease in Cluiston there. It's several thousand acres, and um, we've been hunting that every Saturday. And then I'll also talk about Okeechobee. Matt has a camp there in Okeechobee and a couple of properties up there. Um, I think three or four properties up there that we have access to. We've been hunting those on some of the other days. And then I've been doing public land hunts, uh, filling in all the gaps. So um, at this point in the season, uh, and let me give you some numbers to back this up. Over the past five years, and I don't have this written down in front of me, but I know the numbers, 155 first-time ducks were shot, uh, I'll say under my care. So that was on my boat or on a hunt that I was running or whatever. 155 or five seasons. Really proud of that number. What is that? 35 a season? Is that right? 30 times 30 times five will be 150. Yeah, 31 a season. Sorry, bad math. But you guys got where I was going. 
Um, at this point in this season, we have had 42 first time ducks killed. So really happy with that. Um, the sheer volume of hunters we're able to run through on doing some of these private land hunts, uh, has been remarkable. And so, um, seeing a lot of people kill their first ducks, seeing that's not even including like first of a species, uh, model ducks or black belly whistling ducks, or, uh, we've seen pintails. Um, so really, man, what a, what a cool thing. Like it all starts with a duck, right? If you're going to be a duck hunter, it all starts with a duck at some point. And so to be a part of 42 of those this season already has been pretty big deal. Um, and this has, you know, been our, our biggest year so far. I think the highest year we ever had before was 40. So I'd have to go back and check my notes on that, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it was 40. Um, we did a camp with hunt to eat. So, um, Martin Patelis and, and our good friend, Cindy Stites put that together. Um, where hunt to eat had folks come in from, they, they were doing these camps. They were doing deer camps. They were doing Turkey camps. I think they did a hog camp in Texas. And so, um, I reached out to Cindy, I don't know, six months ago or so I got, I, I chatted over with Matt and first off, Matt is exactly the guys you, exactly the guy you guys believe he is. Um, when he talks about sharing your heritage and telling a story, he's just, that's his, that's who he is. He's just a genuine, genuine character. And, uh, he is, he, he, everything I've pitched to him, he's been like, yeah, let's, tr let's do it. Let's try it. So I went to him back, you know, at the beginning of the summer and I was like, Hey, let's, uh, what, what do you think about doing a, a camp with these guys from hunt to eat, be focused on new hunters, um, or people new to waterfowl hunting or, or whatever. And he's like, yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's do it. Let's send it. So we put that together. Um, we hosted them at, at his, his family's camp there in Okeechobee. And, um, we had them in on a Thursday, a f they came in on a Thursday night. We had them there Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Um, and while we did not stack ducks up, we definitely gave them every exposure to everything you could for duck hunting in Florida. I mean, we took them to, uh, Clewiston to, uh, that, that part of the world is called the devil's garden. Um, and it is aptly named because it's just a harsh, harsh part of Florida. We took him to Clewiston. We hunted the devil's garden. Um, I think we killed one black belly whistling duck with, with that group and a couple of snipe. And then, uh, we came back to Okeechobee and we hunted so hard in Okeechobee. I'm talking so hard. I, there was one day where I had them up and in the cars at two 30 in the morning. Uh, we got back to the camp around two in the afternoon and I had them walking to try to jump shoot black belly whistling ducks at two 30 in the afternoon. There were no naps for the weary. And at six o'clock I was building a campfire. Cause I'm like, Hey, we're at a duck camp. We're going to hang out by golly. Everyone, uh, to a person, I think had a great time. We had a lot of folks from the cast and blast community participate in that camp with us. You're starting to see photos trickle out from Michael Martin, a guy that a lot of you have met. He came to a live show one time. He's a guy that I've known for a while. Um, when I went and spoke at UCF real nights a few years back, Michael actually helped coordinate all that stuff. Dude has incredible skills with a, with a camera and uh, he came, but beyond just doing camera work, he also helped us put people in, in blinds. He helped calling, he helped teaching just, this is, this is what I want to talk about is this community. So we had Michael Martin there. We had Adam Steele, the, uh, what did we ever land on for a nickname for Adam Steele? I feel like we need to revisit that, but I think it was the Sultan of Salami or the purveyor of pork. I can't remember, but we had a lot of nicknames going at one point for Adam, um, if you're not familiar with Adam, he is a he is a wizard with uh, 
all things culinary, but particular wild game. Um, we had Dan Daniels there. You guys, if you've listened to the podcast for any length of time, you've heard Dan and me argue about something on here. Dan came down and he brought Buford, his dog. We had Mark McBride, the waterfowl biologist for FWC, come over. And uh, he actually, he, he came over on Friday and taught. And then um, on his own time on Saturday, he came over and spent some time in the duck blind and brought his dog. And just think about the the resources that were available to these campers. It, it's it, it's incredible. Um, and then we had, you know, me there. Uh, Matt Pierce was there talking to them about ranching and conservation and sharing your heritage and why this story matters so much. Um, Harry Huff filling in all the gaps around, you know, the other hunters that we had paying to hunt those properties and, and running some other trips for us on the side. Really, truly just a community event um, that allowed that whole thing to come together and really special to be a part of that. I think I think three of the five campers harvested their first duck. Uh, one, Dustin, who listens to this podcast, shout out to Dustin. I don't think he killed his first duck, but I do think he killed at least one snipe, maybe two. Um, and then the other camper did not kill a duck, but he killed a rabbit. Um, so everyone was able to take something and four of the five campers that we had were from Florida, which was kind of a, a weird twist that happened. But the cool, I'll tell you the coolest story to me was there was a, there was a young man that came from Hawaii. He flew from Hawaii and he had never shot anything and he killed his first duck. And so it was really fun talking with Dan Daniels after the fact, uh, something completely unrelated, but Dan said someone took him under his wing as an adult and taught him how to hunt. And whoever that guy was is the reason that Ahmad was able to kill a duck at the hunt to eat camp. That guy planted a seed that he would never see grow into a tree. And that's a thing that we really love. We really are passionate about. We really, we probably don't talk enough about it, but the legacy that you leave and the heritage that you leave, uh, when you care enough about people to invest in those people. And, uh, it's a really special thing to, to think about the idea that some guy invested in Dan and Dan invested in this, this kid that, like I said, flew from Hawaii and shot his first duck on a cattle ranch, uh, in, in Okeechobee and it was a Florida model duck, which everybody listening to this knows how special those birds are to us. So really cool, really exciting, um, season so far. We've got another camp coming up at the same property. Um, that's towards the end of the season and that's with American daughters conservation. Uh, you guys remember last year on, uh, conversations we had for the first episode of last year, we had Elizabeth Bland, who's the Florida state chair for American daughters of conservation. And uh, Elizabeth's a rock star. Brenna's a rock star. All everyone I've met with ADC, I've been so impressed with. They're just all salt of the earth ladies, and uh, we're really looking forward to having them out there and sharing um, the properties with them, and hopefully sharing some ducks with them, and and sharing, you know, how ranching and conservation and hunting and all of it fits together. Um, just really, really cool stuff. And I'm if you can't hear that, I'm excited about it. I'm excited about it. Uh, before, let's see, before the hunt to eat camp happened. I drove to Destin, Florida and was at the FWC commission meeting where I was making tons of friends and influencing tons of people, um, by making really unpopular, uh, questions asked. And I just wanted to touch on two of those. Um, one of the first ones I, I asked about was, uh, in regards to feeding manatees, which I at the time of this recording, we have not had to do yet because it hasn't been cold enough. If it doesn't get cold enough, it doesn't concentrate the manatees as I understand it. So we haven't had to feed them yet, but we've budgeted some money. Um, the state has allocated money. The feds have allocated money. Somebody somewhere has said, we're going to, this is important enough. We're going to spend some money on feeding manatees. 
And um, so I asked the question, and, and this was not a question rooted entirely in Travis. This was a question that came from some smart people that I respect very much in this conversation. But, um, you know, are we, should we not be having a conversation about how we reach the carrying capacity for manatees? And I kind of jokingly said, this is not that I want manatees to die. It's not. I think hunters, sportsmen do a disservice to themselves when we say, yeah, but I wonder how good manatee would taste. I actually do wonder that. I've thought that before, but that's not a good part of this conversation because the part of this conversation that needs to happen is if we've reached carrying capacity, if we, if we know what that number is, and I'm not saying we do know what that number is, but say that number is somewhere between six and 8,000 manatees feeding them or whatever is artificially holding that population over. And the reason we're doing that is simply for popular opinion, public relations. I don't know the answer to it, but I think it's a conversation that we need to be willing to delve into. And I think in our politically charged world that we live in today, we can't have a hard conversation like that. So I asked that, um, I didn't get booed, but it definitely got some pushback, including from the chairman of the commission, uh, however, um, I don't think it was poorly received, uh, based off some of the, the links people have sent me and the, the, I'll say the press clippings. I don't really read press clippings much, but some of the press clippings I've seen, um, the point I was trying to make, I think was a, was a valid point, And I think it was one that was received pretty well, um, and willing to be, be held at a, at a broader conversation. So I don't mind being the guy that goes in a room and asks a hard question. I, I do. I hate the inauthenticity of the politics of the games that we play with this kind of stuff. Like we can't have real conversations. We all have to kind of genuflect and, and bow to each other and pretend like we, we care about things that maybe, I don't know. I'm about to get myself in trouble. The place where I did get myself in trouble was towards the end of the commission meeting, public comment on items not on the agenda. Um, I raised the question about funding, um, how we do budgeting and funding for particularly HGM, hunting game management. But I think uh, this also applies to freshwater fisheries. I think it also applies to marine fisheries. And to, to recap without going way into the numbers and boring everyone to sleep, um, HGM makes up, and I'll talk strictly about HGM because I got those numbers right in front of me. But, um, like I said, this could apply similarly to fishing, uh, both, both types of fishing. Um, I do think they receive a little more press and a little more PR in Florida. They're a little more socially acceptable, but I'm going to talk about hunting specifically. Hunting is about 2% of FWC's budget. I think it's $7.4 million for the 2022 fiscal year. And it is largely uh, user fee based or excise tax connected to user fee based in the line items that are budgeted. The irony there to me is we talked at the beginning of the commission meeting about adding on more staff for manatees. And I'm all for having more staff for manatees, but there is no user fee associated with that. So there's this thing in economics or, or a broad principle called veil of ignorance. I learned about it on the West Wing, like a TV show 20 years ago. So I'm not an expert on it, but the veil of ignorance is the, the idea that you throw this veil over something like a tax plan and you design it then based without knowing that certain people are going to make certain incomes or some people are going to be, you know, less privileged than others. And so if you threw a veil of ignorance over FWC's budget and you said, so how much should we allocate to hunting? How much should we allocate to fishing? How much should we allocate to manatees? I think you get very different answers. And I think if you then pulled that veil of ignorance off and you looked at the, the revenue streams generated by user fees, you would allocate more money to hunting and fishing than you do today. Uh, 
So I'm not saying we should stop allocating money to manatees. I'm not saying we should stop allocating money to go for tortoises or to, you know, other stuff. Um, and I'm also not naive to the idea that when we allocate funds to land, like a WMA that sits in habitat and species conservation, but hunters can benefit from it because we're able to utilize that land for hunting for consumptive use. But I am saying there's a broader conversation there that if we cannot get some legislators to take up, what the hell are they doing? Um, and I'm going to be asking that question to a number of legislators in this coming year, because it's a conversation that we need to begin shifting in favor of, we can call them consumptive users. I'll call them contributing users. I've called them that before. And this is a conversation that only takes place in Florida. And it only takes place in Florida because in all the other states where they want to talk about backpack taxes, they want to talk about other revenue streams. They don't have the same funding mechanisms that we do with dock stamps on houses, with, uh, excised or with gas taxes, with trust funds, the way they're set up in state line item budgets. So I just think this is a broader conversation that needs to be carried forward. I know it can get really mundane. I know it can get really boring, really in the weeds when you start talking about budget and stuff. But if we're not willing to have this conversation, what the hell are we doing? That that will end my song and dance on the budget. I began to breach that broach that conversation with the commission towards the end of the, the staff meeting. I said, you know, we haven't had an R3 coordinator in roughly a year and a half. I think right before the COVID pandemic, we lost uh, Daniel, our previous R3 coordinator. We've never replaced that position. Um, and the chairman of the commission tried to tell me about the youth networks. And I, I kind of shot back pointedly and said, well, frankly, the only people I see participating in those are kids of hunters. That is not a slack at any of you listening to this that are hunters and fathers or mothers your kids are going to participate in hunting anyway, though. So it's great that we get to take advantage of youth hunts and I've taken advantage of them. My son goes on a youth turkey hunt every year. This will be his last year to do a youth duck hunt. Um, we absolutely have taken full advantage of those. But at the end of the day, if we're not investing in kids that don't look like me, and I'll say that again, if we're not looking, investing in kids that don't have the opportunities to hunt, don't have moms and dads that are out there willing to take them hunting grandmas and grandpas, um, the future of hunting looks pretty bleak in my mind. And I'll continue to say that over and over and over again. I think the fallacy of R3 is not the idea of we need to do kids programs. I think it's that we need to do programs for people that aren't exposed to hunting. And whatever the outcome for that is, the outfall for that is, be it more hunters on the landscape or be it more acceptance of hunting because we're putting hunting into the foreground of people that wouldn't be exposed to it normally. I think there's no downside to that. And I think that's a conversation I'm not quite sure why we can't have it, but I think it's a conversation that we always dance around when we talk about R3. Um, before I put a bow on this, I want to give you guys an update on All Florida because we keep kind of talking about it, but not talking about it, talking about it, not talking about it. So All Florida is coming. Um, we finalized the logo. You will see that get updated probably at the time this airs, it will be this week that you will see the Facebook page, the Instagram page updated with the logo. Um, Something we are working on behind the scenes is a lot of people said, are you going to do an all Florida podcast? And yes, we are. Conversations will probably move to all Florida. So that will become the all Florida podcast. I may also use that as a, as a vehicle to do things like what, what we did with restricted hunting areas last year, or if we have other topics that we want to go in depth on, I may interview some people, but it may also give you some, some pontifications from Travis's desk. Um, 
but that stuff will be moving over there. So we're trying to figure out how to split that stuff on the back end. And we're trying to figure all that out during the middle of duck season. And it's a little bit trickier. So uh, just be patient with us on that. I know that you are, and we appreciate that so much. The other thing that we are finalizing is the membership portals, how people can join and, and donate, um, pay their membership dues, or there's a, we're going to do something else pretty cool. And I, I don't want to talk about it publicly yet, but it's going to be a, a membership like you have not seen from any other nonprofit before. Um, and I think it's going to disrupt in a good way and we'll see some other nonprofits start to mirror what we're doing there. And, um, man, man I, I'm, I'm really happy and hopeful about that. The last thing I want to talk about is it is now 2022. So everyone always wants to talk about resolutions. One of the things that we have talked about kind of behind the scenes with, with regards to all Florida, um, is being audacious. And that's, that's the idea of bold risks. And, and I, I always love the the old Teddy Roosevelt, the, the, foremost conservationist, the forefather of conservation, talking about daring greatly. Um, we are going to try to be more audacious. That means we're not going to, we're not going to be jerks, but we're also not going to shirk down some of these conversations that I think get tiptoed around a little bit. We're going to try to encourage those and continue to have those in the new year. So um, anyway, it is good to be back. It's good to like use my voice and, and talk into a microphone again feel like I haven't done it in so very long. I hope everyone had a wonderful holiday, a safe holiday. I hope everyone is feeling good and I hope everyone is getting out there and enjoying, um, duck season. <sighs> I talked to RC Gilliland, um, you know, not, not irregularly, probably once a month or so. Um, and we interviewed RC back last year in our conversation series. He's a, he's a fishing guide in Southwest Florida. And I was like, dude, I hate you so much. He's like, why? I was like, because you've had nothing but perfect weather for over a month now. Like we've had like two duck hunting days. And what I mean by that is you always want like some weather patterns. I don't mind the 85 degree days. I just want some 74 degree days and maybe a 68 degree day occasionally mixed in with them on some recurring basis. This 85, 68, 85, 67, 83, 68 kind of days, man, for weeks and weeks and weeks on end, that'll grade on you if you're a duck hunting guide. Not so bad if you are a inshore fishing guide. So if y'all are tired of looking for duck hunting guides and you want to go fishing, give RC a call. Anyway, I, I am, uh, I'm really hoping we get some more uh, inclement weather towards the, the end of the season here. And it, if nothing else, I don't know that's going to push new birds to us, but it'll definitely stir up the birds we got. And we'll start to see some reverse migrators as birds start to move back north. As always, we appreciate each and every one of you. Um, our Patreons that stuck through with us through that crazy month of December where we released two episodes or whatever. And every, all of our listeners are stuck with us as we released Emily after dark. Um, last thing I was going to say is merchandise housekeeping item. Um, please don't buy any hats or anything until they go on sale. You'll see a sale coming up. We want to clean out some of our old inventory, kind of get rid of some of the stuff we have so we can get ready for some new stuff. We've got some cool new designs that are at the print shop right now, and we're just finalizing orders on that. So um, we want to kind of clean out some of the old stuff and, and get some of that stuff moving. So we're going to do a pretty cool hat sale uh, and what little bit of t-shirts and, and, and merch we have left. We're going to be doing a sale on that in the next couple of weeks to kind of clean house and, and get everything going back everything going again. And I'm going to include, cause I never got them up before Christmas, the ponytail hats in that deal. So, um, just be patient with us on that and keep an eye out for that on the Facebook, the Instagram. Um, and we'll talk about it on the podcast, obviously when it happens, but we're going to be doing a big push on that. I just, part of the reason we haven't done a big push yet is I have to pack and ship a lot of those things. Me and will formerly of the two minute will, 
and during duck season, it's really hard for me to pull off. But I've got some weekdays opening up uh, here towards the end of the season, so we're gonna be we're gonna be launching that sale in the next few weeks, and um, hopefully doing a push. And you guys can get some cast and blast merchandise if you haven't gotten any, or maybe get some replacement gear for some of the stuff you don't have. As always, we appreciate each and every one of you so much. We hope you all have a great new year and in honor of, oh, forgot to do Fletcher Hallett. Hallett Insurance, 904-315-5812. New year, time to get your rates shopped for insurance. This was a amazing segue I just did here. Um, Fletcher, I think I mentioned this on a podcast earlier this year, but Fletcher did all of our insurance for our private land hunts. Um, dude is just incredible. And like, he, he did that for us. He w- It wasn't even a policy he was going to end up writing, but he like stayed engaged in it the entire time so he could walk it through the process and make sure I didn't like miss anything or, or you know, get screwed out of anything or anything else. So if you've never let Fletcher run your rates, never let Fletcher give you a quote, please reach out to him. You can send him a text. You don't have to talk to him on the phone, although he's a great guy to talk to on the phone. 904-315-5812. Send him an email, fhallett at hallettends.com. If I had more time, I would insert the lyrics here, but double the L's, double the T's, Hallett for all your insurance needs. Pretend that Emily sang that in a beautiful voice and not me just talking through it very quickly. Y'all stay woke. Stay woke.